from digitiki.com. What happened? Where's Goldfinger? Playing his golden harp. They're looking for a foreign car. A man and a woman. And the cello. Welcome to the quiet village. Welcome back to The Quiet Village, folks. You are witnessing part two of the music of 007 right that, here. That's right. I am your host, Digitiki, coming to you direct from Digitiki.com. And of course, I'm here with the internationally ignored crackpot director, Scott Mabbitt, a.k.a. Joe Banks, head of section. Cheers. And, and we've got our cocktails. And that, folks was Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Actually, that was done by an artist by the name of Elliot Fisher, and that's from one of the Ultra Lounge collections. But the original was actually done by... John Barry and sung by... Shirley Bassey. The one and only. The one and only. And that was actually supposed to be the original theme song for Thunderball. For some reason, they pulled it, and then they got Tom Jones to do Thunderball, which is a great theme song, by the way. It really is. But we are going to talk a little bit about Mr. John Barry. Yes, uh, strangely enough, days after we recorded part one, Mr. Barry passed away. I know we were afraid that we'd killed him with the podcast. We killed him with kindness. In fact... We were joking that that gave uh, that gave you a good idea for a new slasher movie called yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> I forgot. Download of Death or Killer Download. Deadly Download. Deadly Download. See, you know, coming to a theater near you, or you can kill Digitiki people. Or Tiki and Joe Banks's songs that their ex girlfriends liked. 
Yes, yes. The next one we're going to do is called Music for Ex-Girlfriends. But uh, anyway, yes, literally just days after we had recorded that and I was editing the uh, podcast and getting ready for upload, got the word that John Barry had passed. Very sad news. What an amazing musician. I mean, this guy was the sound of Bond. He made Bond sound like Bond. Absolutely. And, you know, strangely enough, a few days after that, I had the great fortune to meet Nancy Sinatra. And I talked to her about John Barry, and she relayed the story to me how, and I quote, she was scared shitless to sing that song because it was such a classical type of piece that she was not used to singing. But of course, she did a great job. You know, John Barry not only did Bond music, but he was famous for doing some amazing Oscar-winning film scores. Oh, absolutely. He did Out of Africa. He did Somewhere in Time. Somewhere in Time. Dances with Wolves. That's right. I forgot about Dances with Wolves. And I think we mentioned on part one, uh, he did the 1977 Dino De Laurentiis King Kong, which sounds yes. very much like a, a Bond movie You know, it, in it's, its scope. It's interesting, especially in now that we're moving, we've we've finished in part one with a lot of the uh, Sean Connery movies, um, the, the, the score to me, the Bond score that sounds a lot like his later movies like Dances with Wolves and Out of Africa is Moonraker. Yeah. I also want to send a shout out to some of the people who've written in. And a lot of people wrote in. I'm really pleased that people seem to enjoy the uh, kind of out of character Quiet Village Bond podcast. Yeah, the, I, I was a little bit worried that people wouldn't dig it because it wasn't the Exotica stuff. But everybody really, really loved it. And they liked the fact that we geeked out on stuff, which, which that's, is... Well, we're geeks. That's, yeah, we are geeks. But, uh, you know, I, I do want to give a shout out to John O., if you're listening, and I know you are, John. John O., who argued with us, his favorite movie was Diamonds Are Forever. And, we, you know, we really appreciated your fine critique of the podcast, and we're really glad you enjoyed it. But your opinion is absolutely incorrect about <laughs> Diamonds Are Forever. And we're only saying that because we're friends with him. The things that he liked about Diamonds Are Forever were basically the good things about that movie, the fact that it showed a lot of vintage well, they were Vegas. All aesthetic things. So yes. I can't really fault him for that. But I also want to thank, uh, I also want to thank somebody who wrote in David Browsel. And I hope I said your name right. Browsel. Yeah, David. David. Uh, he has an excellent site that is all spy related. It's called spyboproyale.com. Dot com and I spell that for us, Digitiki. Okay, it's spy s p y b o p r o y a l e spyboproyale.com. and he's got an amazing collection of spy LPs, not just Bond stuff, but people who did their own versions of Bond stuff and TV spy soundtracks and things like that. Great collection. He sent me some stuff we're going to be playing. Are they for download on his site? Not that we endorse piracy in any way. You know, I, I just looked and geeked out at a lot of the 
the covers. I don't know if they're for download, but he did send me some some rare Bond stuff that we're going to play later Ooh, on. Nice. I can't wait. So big mahalos out to David. Well, so, well, so I would like, we actually both of us would like to dedicate this episode and actually the first episode to John Barry. We raise a Vesper to John Barry. Here's to you, John. Thank you for all the music. Why don't we play a track from uh, the next Bond film, Live and Let Die, while we make some more drinks. Okay. And of course, everybody knows right after Diamonds Are Forever, the next Bond movie is, of course, Live and Let Die, where they got Roger Moore. And uh, so here we go. Let's do Live and Let Die. Here's a track. Actually, the interesting thing before we do this, the interesting thing is this is not a John Barry Bond soundtrack. No, this was George Martin who produced The Beatles, which is... Probably how they got Paul McCartney to do the title song. Which is which is a really cool title song. So we're going to do a piece of the score now from Live and Let Die, Roger Moore's first movie. This is uh, George Martin, who did the whole score. And this is a piece called... Baron Samony's Dance of Death. Right here. <laughs> on The Quiet Village. The 7-Up Guy. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that was the rejected theme song for The Man with the Golden Gun by Alice Cooper. I can't believe they got Alice Cooper to do The Man with the Golden Gun. Were they going rock and roll? They went Paul McCartney, Alice Cooper. You know, I think it was kind of a different era for Bond. It was the 70s and we didn't have Sean anymore. So maybe they're going for a different thing. But they did bring John Barry back for The Man with the Golden Gun. Yes, which was a very good score, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie was a little flaky. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, it's starting a long trend of Roger Moore weird gadgets like flying cars. and. Let's talk for a second about Man with the Golden Gun and how it's tied to Live and Let Die. The sheriff in this little bayou. I, 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 it's beyond my understanding. Apparently, was he so popular in Live and Let Die that they felt that they needed to bring him back in Man with the Golden Gun. By the powers invested in me by this parish, I hereby do commandeer this vehicle and all those persons within. He's an Englishman working in cooperation with our boys, a sort of secret agent. Secret agent? On whose side? You know, it, it was funny for a brief little time in Live and Let Die, but when they brought him back in Man with the Golden Gun, it's like, we see this guy from the Deep South in Thailand, and what On is he doing? On vacation. In vacation in Thailand, and what's he doing? He's, he's, he's test- shopping for a car. He's test driving an AMC yeah. in Thailand. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. Like, there's something about this character that doesn't strike me as when he goes on vacation, he's going to go to Thailand with his wife. Right, right. Oh, I thought that was interesting. You know, they have a habit of bringing lesser characters back when they kind of really only had their place in the one movie. Like, I'm not thrilled with Jaws being in Moonraker. There's no real reason for him to be in that movie, except, oh, he was so popular in the other one, let's bring him back. And I think it's the same kind of thinking. Let's let's actually talk for a moment about Jaws, the character of Jaws, Richard Keel. The original character was, uh, was named Horror. And Horror. It's one of the few things that they appropriated from the Spy Who Loved Me book that they weren't supposed to do. Uh, okay, so the Spy Who Loved Me novel actually had a killer. It had a character like, much like Jaws, and he was very big, and his name was Horror. I got it. Now there's also, here's another little bit of trivia that we were talking about before we were rolling here. Jaws... Essentially, the character of Jaws showed up in a film just prior to The Spy Who Loved Me coming out. That's right. With metal teeth and everything. Metal teeth, and he was a henchman. Mm -hmm. But it was a comedy. And the movie, it's one of my favorites. Mine too. It's a great movie. Silver Streak. That's right. With Gene... uh, Gene Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Jill Clayburgh. Richard Richard Pryor. Mm Mm-hmm. Great Scatman Crothers. Great, great movie. And there's a character, this giant tall henchman with metal teeth. Well then this this huge mountain with a gold mine stuck in his gums picked me up and threw me off the train. Reese, he's like a child, got off the train and tried to find you, say he was sorry. Who is Reese? He's the one that threw you off. You, you must remember him, a large man with not very attractive dental work. 
he doesn't speak and he's exactly like Jaws, but the film came out before. Now, he was he created that role for Spy Who Loved Me and they made the metal teeth for that and they shot the movie before Silver Streak, but it took so long to edit it and get it released that he was able to make this other movie come out first. So it looked like Silver Streak, or Spy Who Loved Me was copying Silver Streak. Yes, and here's another little piece of trivia. What classic television show did Richard Keel show up in? Oh, I don't know. You got me on that, did you, Tiki? The Twilight Zone. Oh, I did know that. He's on To Serve Man. To Serve Man. He is the Kavanite. Well, let's talk a little bit about Roger Moore. They got Roger Moore, who had done The Saint Mm -hmm. previously on television, which was a spy TV show. Right. He's in his second movie. Mm -hmm. The first movie, uh, Live and Let Die, was actually pretty good for a Bond movie. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I did, too. I I like Man with the Golden Gun as well. Those are kind of sister Bond films, but Roger was really adamant about not doing anything that was a signature of Sean Connery. So in those early movies, he very deliberately does not order a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. Well, Roger Moore brought a little more polish to Bond. Uh, uh, Sean Connery was a little grittier Mm -hmm. as Bond. I mean, the old saying is, you know, if you cross Roger Moore's Bond, he'll crack a joke. If you cross Sean Connery, he'll lay you out. (laughs) Man with a Golden Gun, Live and Let Die, the two Roger Moores, Bond moving on. They were modest hits, but it got to the point where... Uh, Harry Salzman, one of the co-owners with Cubby Broccoli of the rights, uh, he was in dire need of money, and he decided to sell off his rights, his shares of the rights to Cubby. So Cubby was the sole owner, and they, the two, run, the first two Roger Moore's were not that big of a hit that the studios were willing to just bankroll these things forever. So the next movie, Spy Who Loved Me was sort of a do-or-die kind of thing for the Bond franchise. Cubby had all the rights, and this was potentially his last Bond film if it didn't succeed, so he threw everything in the kitchen sink at this movie. Which, I have to say, was the first Bond movie I saw in the theater as a kid. Me too, actually. And I was wowed, and of course, that did it for me. It was like, after that, I have to own a Lotus. (laughs) But, uh... Okay, so now we move on to The Spy Who Loved Me. Which was not scored by John Barry, but in fact scored by... Marvin Hamlish. Now tell me about the Broadway... Marvin Hamlish was really famous for doing Broadway stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Big, big musicals. Well, Cubby Broccoli was always a real huge Broadway musical fan, and I'm almost certain that that's why he chose Marvin Hamlish. Marvin Hamlish is a great composer in his own right, but... I have to say, terribly inappropriate for a Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, it was a little different. I mean, of course, this is 1977. Mm-hmm. So they took Bond into the disco era. Yes, which is not good. <laughs> so, well, yeah, let's, let's hear a little clip of the score. Here's a little piece of Marvin Hamlish's twist on Bond with Bond 77.
probably seemed like a pretty good idea at the time. Okay, but Spy Who Loved Me, mm-hmm. I have to say, it had some kind of cool stuff. The 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 underwater lair instead of the underground lair. Yeah, it's definitely a more serious Bond. I mean, it, it does have these crazy elements like the underwater lair, but, you know, the theme of it is a little more serious than Man with a Golden Gun, I think. And strangely, The Spy Who Loved Me was the one book that Ian Fleming never wanted made into a movie. And The Spy Who Loved Me movie has nothing really to do with the book. He agreed to sell the title, but he Fleming himself was never happy with that book. And it wasn't even until after Fleming died that it was ever available on paperback. Really? I, that's an interesting piece of trivia. Well, Bond himself isn't in the book that much. It's not really a book about James Bond. Bond shows up in the middle for a little bit and then disappears and never shows back up again. Okay, so Cubby Broccoli was in massive debt. Spy Who Loved Me was going to be the last Bond movie. It was do or die, yeah. and uh, he really hit Pater. It was a huge success. It was. It was a big hit. It was Thunderball big. But now let's talk really quick about the ending, which we're going to come back to later. The ending of that movie is the perfect ending for the Bond series. Well, it was very deliberate, just in case the movie wasn't a hit. The curtains literally close on James Bond when he's in the little submarine. And it's a big Broadway ending. And it's a big Broadway courtesy of Cubby and Marvin Hamlish. Marvin Hamlish. So, and we will get to that later on. But, okay, so it's a big explosive hit. And, of course, I dig the Lotus. Of the, course you the, do. The submarine cars become the icon. And at the end of the movie, it says James Bond will return in... For Your Eyes Only. Yes, it does. But we all know that that was not the next movie because Star Wars happened in between and they decided to skip doing For Your Eyes Only and do Moonraker instead. And I think the one good thing that we can say about Moonraker is they brought back John Barry again. And Shirley Bassey. Exactly. So Shirley Bassey started to become the voice of James Bond Mm -hmm. the theme songs. John Barry's score is is really pretty in that. Hot off the heels of Spy Who Loved Me, they, they're flush with cash. You can tell because they spent a lot of money yeah. on Moonraker. And I got to say, you know, I, I don't want to sound too disparaging, but, you know... That was not a great moment in Bonddom. I, I think I like it more than you do, strangely enough. I'm the one that seems to be bagging on, on the Bond movies. But it's not the worst. I mean, there are good parts in Moonraker, but it's starting... The wheels are starting to come off the bus a little bit here. Well, let's play a cue from Moonraker, which is actually a pretty good one. This is, this is a piece of the soundtrack. Again, John Barry. This is Bond Arrives in Rio... And the boat chase. And the boat was pretty cool. Yeah, and all the Rio stuff is cool in Moonraker. I like that. Oh, here we go. John Barry back in action with Bond.
Okay, so now what was that? That was Blondie's rejected theme song for For Your Eyes Only. Very different. And very well rejected. <laughs> so they got John Barry back. They had Marvin Hamlish for Spy. Actually, John Barry, he was back for Moonraker. But, Moonraker. But For Your Eyes Only was scored by Bill Conti, the right. guy who did the Rocky movies. And and neither of us really know why they, they switched over from Barry. Barry may have been busy on another job. Could be. And not available. But you know, it's a shame that Barry didn't score that film because that's probably my favorite Roger Moore James Bond movie. For Your Eyes Only? Yeah, I think it's got a serious... They've gone back to the more serious tone after the outlandish Moonraker. And for me, the moment in it that... There's a moment in the film where Roger Moore finally turns into James Bond for me, and that's when he kicks the villain's car off the cliff. That's a tough guy Bond. Right. And it had the Lotus back. In a, yes, your Lotus was back. The Lotus Turbo model. If only for a second. But, you know, being a, a Lotus aficionado You would myself, notice little things like that. I would notice it. Let's talk for a real quick second about Bill Conti's score, because it kind of moved back to the Marvin Hamlish Bond 77. I know. It, it, it kind of ruins it, really. I mean, there's some really great action ski chases in it, and the score, again, is inappropriate. And I'm with you on the fact that I think this is a, a really good Bond movie, but again, I think the disco kind of uh, pseudo, to me it almost sounds like uh, pseudo Earth, Wind, and Fire. Right. horns and 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 synth for yeah. bond chase music and you know bond music is really important or the you know the score and look take something like if we can go back to man with the golden gun there is a spectacular car stunt in that movie that is absolutely ruined with a slide whistle you know a car jumping you know loop de loop over a ravine and it was really spectacular and could have been really enhanced with a really dramatic score, but no, instead they play it for a laugh. Okay, so For Your Eyes Only is in the can. Now we move up to... Around 1983 at this point, and it's the 13th Bond film, if I'm not mistaken. 13th. Octopussy. I actually liked this movie. I do too, actually. It gets a bad, bad rap because it has a silly title. Mm -hmm. But 
it's it's pretty good uh, on the Roger Moore scale of Bonds. And we've got John Barry back. John Barry is back in the same year. This is when Kevin McClory went off to make his remake of Thunderball with Sean Connery, which is just bad on all levels. <laughs> and the, you know, the only thing that you get out of watching Never Say Never Again is, why am I just not watching Thunderball? Well, let's talk for a minute about that now. Kevin McClory has the rights to Thunderball. Thunderball only. Only. Mm-hmm. And because he, he claimed, and I think won in court, that he wrote part of that with Ian Fleming. So he has some claim on that one title. So now we have a production that actually gets shot, edited, green-lighted, or whatever you want to call it, and actually gets released in theaters... They bring back Sean Connery as James Bond mm -hmm. for essentially a, a, a remake of Thunderball, right? Called "Never Say Never Again," right? Because because Sean Connery said he would never play Bond after and Diamonds. Right? They thought they were just going to bury Octopussy in the the proper Eon Bond films, and. Quite the opposite happened. Octopussy was a huge success, and Never Seen Ever Again was just kind of a mediocre success. Yeah, I did not like that film. No, no one likes that film. And, and the soundtrack was horrible. Yes, done and, by Michel Legrand, who is a great composer, yeah. but once again, inappropriate for a Bond movie. So we're not going to play any of that. Not one lick. So we move up to Octopussy. Octopussy had one of... Uh, one of my favorite stunts, which was that tiny little m micro jet plane. Yeah, flying through the airport hangar. So after Octopussy, a view to a kill. View to a kill. I did did not like this movie. I, I don't like it either. I like John Barry's score. The score is is quite good. John it, Barry's better back. than that film deserves. I, I think it was one of the uh, the early. 80s Bond encyclopedias that was that had every entry of the film up until that point and a little review of each one and it gave that movie a turkey <laughs> and cited the scene where Bond is chasing through the streets of San Francisco on a fire truck how it belonged more in a Ghostbusters movie than a Bond movie Right. Well, the other one, of course, we've talked about this over many cocktails before. My big glaring issue with it is the fact that um, uh, the 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 heroine and the Bond girl, what's yeah. her name, Tanya Roberts, I right. believe, is the is the girl. I forget her character. She's running after Bond and holding her hands up and trying to get his attention. And meanwhile, the bad guy is hanging out of a giant blimp that's flying over her head and he just swoops down without her knowing it. She never saw him coming. She never saw this <laughs> giant blimp coming over her head and he whoops down and picks her up and carries her off in the blimp. Now he must have had the motors on silent. <laughs> he, probably, he was probably just coasting in there. She never saw it. He was, yes. Well, you know, by the, by the time we got to this movie, poor, poor Roger Moore. I love Roger Moore, though. I thought he was a good Bond. Me too, and we said it before. We'll say it again. All of anything bad in the Bond movies in his era was not his fault. No, I think I think he had some some bad scripts. But Duran Duran did the original theme song, but I found a really cool version 
This is um, a band called Sky doing A View to a Kill from an album called Hollywood Mon Amour. Here is Sky with A View to a Kill.
Okay, so there we have it. Sky doing their version of A View to a Kill. That that, was cool. I like that. That actually marked Roger Moore's last appearance as Bond. That's right. And Timothy Dalton picked up the mantle after that. And strangely enough, uh, when Connery retired from the role, they actually approached Timothy Dalton at that time to take over for Live and Let Die and Timothy Dalton said no I, I'm, I'm too young and didn't want he thought he was too young he thought he was too young for the role and thought that Bond should be a little bit older a little more seasoned character but they didn't forget him and when Roger retired they went and asked Timothy Dalton and this time he said yes but what's strange about that story is just before they asked Timothy Dalton they asked Pierce Brosnan if he wanted to be Bond while he was doing Remington yes. Steel, and Pierce Brosnan turned down the role, citing he thought he was too young. Really? So both Bonds that followed Roger Moore were asked previously, and both turned it down for the same reason, but then inevitably became both very good James Bonds. I, actually, I liked both of those characters. Me too. Uh, both of those actors, I'm sorry, as yeah. Bond. I like the way they played them. Timothy Dalton made Bond... Very gritty, almost yeah, I, dark. I love Living Daylights, but it came on the heels of, you know, all the comedy Roger Moore stuff. And then he, all of a sudden, here's Timothy Dalton doing this hard-edged Bond. And, you know, he's smoking cigarettes, and he's punching guys in the face. And it's like, oh, my God. It's like Sean Connery's Bond is back. And the line where he says, uh, M will probably fire me for it, and I'll thank him for it. Oh, yeah. And then in the, in the second film that he did, in License to Kill, he just goes renegade. Yeah, yeah. Great. So, He's great. Underrated Bond. And Timothy Dalton's first foray as Bond also marked John Barry's last. Exactly. The Living Daylights is the last John Barry Bond score. Right. Let's play a little clip. This is one of my favorites. This is actually a piece of the score. This is John Barry from Living Daylights. This is a, a track called Hercules Takes Off, and I believe it's it's when he's in that giant cargo yeah. plane, right? Yeah, in Afghanistan. And, and, and it's got the theme. It uses the, the title track, the theme? title track theme, Living Daylights, which was performed by AHA. So here we have John Barry and his final score with Bond from The Living Daylights.
there you have it. That's how you do it. If you want to, you take, you want to add a little contemporary sound. You don't go get a disco-y Marvin Hamlish. You just let John Barry get a little 80s, but not go too much. Right. The next movie, License to Kill. That was Michael Kamen that Michael. scored that, who did Die Hard and Brazil. Right. Michael Kamen came in and did License to Kill. Not the best score in the world. No. And kind of a, the movie's really good, I think. It's, it's kind of violent. It's a really tough Bond film. It is. That was the last Timothy Dalton. It was, and I think he kind of got unfairly blamed. That one wasn't quite as successful as Living Daylights, and so he kind of got cut loose from the franchise after that, but I don't think it was his fault. Uh, I'm glad to see that he's having such a, a huge career these days, and He's really funny in a lot of the things that he's do, that he's in, like Hot Fuzz, mm-hmm. and you know, even as early as The Rocketeer. And I think if he would have been able to bring a little bit of that humor to his very serious Bond, it probably would have been easier to swallow after the Roger Moore era. Right. So, License to Kill is is released in '89. Mm-hmm. We've got a huge stretch of no Bond, mm-hmm. and then it's not till. What, what year? Like in the 90s at some point. I, I believe it was 1995 that we have the next Bond movie, which is Pierce Brosnan, who's, who's brought in. Well, he's finally old enough. He's finally old enough. They waited till 95. Brosnan's old enough, and he comes in with Goldeneye. Which was named after Ian Fleming's estate in Jamaica. Which is, which is quite interesting. And I got to say, I really liked the theme song to Goldeneye. That was Tina Turner. Tina Turner. It was actually written by Bono and The Edge, I believe. Are those real names? Are those adults? I don't know. Hmm. Sonny, Sonny Bono. Sonny Bono? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I have an alternate version. Ah, that's what this is all about. Yes, I do. So here is here is a version of GoldenEye that was sent to me by David Browsel. Thank you very, very much. Much And it's credited to an artist by the name of Mr. Bond. I'm not exactly sure where this came from. The album is called A Jazzy Cocktail of Ice Cold Themes. I don't know if that's a, if that's a compilation that was put together or if it's been a released compilation. This is a great, great kind of rockabilly version of GoldenEye. Now my time 
presence in the crowd Other girls, they gather around him If I had him, I wouldn't let him out Golden eye, no lace, no leather Golden chains, take him to the spot Golden eye, I'll show him forever It'll take forever to see what I got You'll never know how I watched you From the shadows as a child
that was a cue from The World Is Not Enough. Right. David Arnold. Was that, was that his first soundtrack or second? No, that was his second. Tomorrow Never Dies was his first. Which we heard a, a segment from. So you heard a, a cut right there. That was called Come In 007, Your Time Is Up. David Arnold was actually the guy that John Barry recommended mm-hmm. to take over the Bond music. And once he did, starting with Tomorrow Never Dies, he has been the composer of them ever since. And I, and I got to say, he's done a great job. Yeah, I do too. I'm really happy with him as the composer. So then we move on to Pierce Brosnan's next movie. Die Another Day. Die Another Day, which comes out in 2002. So Bond has made it to the 21st century. Yes, he has. But boy, that script... It was like one big giant gag, one in-joke after another. So now, Die Another Day is in the can. Mm-hmm. Um, Pierce Brosnan is, is done with Bond. Well, um, he really wanted to do Casino Royale, because while he was under contract playing Bond, Eon Productions finally got the rights back to that book. And Pierce really wanted to do that movie. And there are lots of elements in... World is not enough that are borrowed liberally from Casino Royale. Well, that that's just it. Now let's talk about Casino Royale. They get a new Bond. Mm-hmm. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. I was blown away. I really, really loved this movie. Yeah, it was really good. He's really good, too. I think he even got better in his second one. He seemed a little more relaxed in his role. But Casino Royale was really great. My only gripe with it is I don't quite think it was necessary for them to do the gimmick of it's Bond's first mission. But it's just confusing because we have Judy Dench as M, who clearly made a point of saying she was not Bernard Lee in GoldenEye to Pierce Brosnan. Now we have Bond's first mission and it's her. Well, Bond always played a little loose with time. Let's continuity. Look, <laughs> let's look at Blofeld. Yes. Blofeld was in he was in You Only Live Twice. You Only Live Twice. He was in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. He was in Diamonds Are Forever. He was in For Your Eyes Only, though he was never mentioned by name. The the character of Blofeld, wasn't he the, the faceless guy with the cat in Thunderball? From, from Russia with Love. From Russia with Love. But we actually see him in You Only Live Twice. In You Only Live Twice. Or was that Dr. Evil? That was Dr. Evil. Right. Well, that's where Dr. Evil came from. So, uh, and then we have On Her Majesty's Secret Service, where we have Telly Savalas playing Blofeld. A very serious Blofeld. Yes. Yes, I thought he did a good job. Uh, Then we have Blofeld coming back in Diamonds Are Forever. Then we fast forward to the 80s, where we have the opening sequence for For Your Eyes Only. And he seems to be Blofeld from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. They right. seem to have disregarded Diamonds Are Forever because he's got a neck brace on. And at the beginning of that film, we have Roger Moore visiting Diana Riggs' grave. So there's another nod to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. So they must have just completely ignored the Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> but then we move on. We have Daniel Craig doing Casino Royale. Now, as I understand, I have not read the book. I believe you have. And I understand that it's very close it's to the extremely book. extremely close. It's really probably the closest of all the Bond movies. Very good. He plays Bond very dark, very gritty. Mm-hmm. There's not... Which yet. is kind of how Ian Fleming's Bond was. He wasn't quite as polished. That was a Terrence Young contribution. So David Arnold is back 
He is. He's he's back. He's scoring Casino Royale with the new Bond. He's got a little bit of handcuffs put on a little bit because they don't want him to play the Bond theme until the very end. But if you listen in the cues, he kind of hides it in there and you can kind of hear him getting away with it. He does sneak it in. And in the score itself, it's a beautiful score. I mean, the, 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 the Vespers theme is just gorgeous. There you go, the Vespers. But I'm going to actually play for you a piece of music from Casino Royale, not the movie, but the trailer. This is some great, great music. And of course, it's got the Bond theme. This is the theatrical trailer score for Casino Royale.
hey, folks, threw you for a little loop there. That was uh, two two different Casino Royale movies. Two of the three Casino Royale movies. Actually, that was Burt Bacharach's music, but it was performed by Herb, Herb Alpert. Alpert. Right. Herb Alpert did a Bond movie score. That's right. And it was Casino Royale. Long before the Daniel Craig Casino Royale. Exactly. So, yes, we have 2006 with Daniel Craig doing the Broccoli, the Eon production version of Casino Royale. And then 40 years earlier. Yes, in 1966, we have Casino Royale, which which has Ursula Andres, Peter Sellers, David Niven. Woody Allen. Yes, it has Woody Allen, Orson Welles. Orson Welles as Le Chief. And, of course, David Niven plays a bumbling idiotic James Bond. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a comedy. Uh, you know But it's likable. One of the reasons that we never saw an Eon production of Casino Royale for so long was because Casino Royale was the was the one book that uh, Broccoli didn't have the sole rights to. Yeah, they sold that one much earlier than Saltzman and Broccoli bought the rights to it, they sold that one separately for the TV movie with Barry Nelson, so it was never part of that package, and Sony owned that book. Then when MGM was finally bought by Sony, the two companies merged together, and they were able to get their hands on the one Fleming book they didn't have. And they did a good version of it, too, I They, they did it proud, I think. Okay, so you know what? I just I want to I want to indulge for one moment. I have again, David uh, uh, Browsel sent me some cool ber- versions of Bond stuff, and I have to play this one. So this is this is the um, the Burt Bacharach version or Herb Alpert Burt Bacharach version of Casino Royale, the theme song, but it's done really wild. It's done by the Ohio State University. Marching band. Oh, my favorite. Oh, here we go. Nothing like marching band bond. Then we have Quantum of Solace, mm-hmm. which which moves us back into the, I don't know, kind of more of the classic Bond villain. 
it feels a little bit more like a traditional Bond film than Casino Royale, which kind of feels like a standalone movie, almost like On Her Majesty's uh, Secret Service does. Right, with with Daniel Craig back as Bond. Mm-hmm. So that that moves us to current current time right now. We're waiting for the next Bond movie. And there was a little hitch. MGM ran out of money and went bankrupt, and and some studio will pick it up. But it looks like MGM worked out their money troubles, and and the next Bond, Untitled Bond, is it's on. actually shooting. Yeah, it's on as, its way. As as you hear this, the Bond. The next Bond is shooting. Daniel Craig back as Bond, Judy Dench back as M. I actually liked Judy Dench. Oh, as me too. M. I thought me she too. was she was really good. Um, so that actually brings us to the end of, of our, our big two parter. Big two parter with with uh, Scott Mabbitt, aka Joe Banks, head of section, <laughs> <laughs> internationally ignored Dir- spy director, and. and and you know, there's a lot of Bond music that we didn't actually get to, and and just just for just for grins, I'm going to do an extra download that's kind of you know kind of like the holiday episode that I did, where it was just music. It wasn't a, an official episode. It's going to be all the different versions of the James Bond theme. Wow! So are you saying that our Bond episode is actually a 2.5 parter? Yes, it's two and a half parts. Nobody does it better than Digitiki. Right. Which brings us to the end of our episode. My Vesper is empty, and you know what that means. That means we've come to the end of another episode here at The Quiet Village. I want to remind you real quick that you can visit The Quiet Village at any time by going to digitiki.com and clicking on the podcast button where you can get a complete rundown of all the songs on every episode so now we talked about Spy Who Loved Me, and it was supposed to be, well... It, it was potentially going to be the swan song for the whole series. At the very end, you see Bond, and he's in that capsule with Triple X, which I thought was a great name for a, yes, a Bond girl. And he clicks the little button, and the curtains come down, and it's the big Broadway finale, which, if you look at it, knowing that, you look at it and go, that is a a fitting end to the whole Bond If it weren't to series. continue, that would be... It, it is. So now we're going to end with some classic Bond. Here is the, the end theme from The Spy Who Loved Me. But never fear, Digitiki will return in Quiet Village, episode 38. Exactly. Till so next time, aloha, everybody. Aloha. Hope you enjoyed the show. Good night. Nobody does me pleasure Makes me feel sad for the rest Nobody does it half as good as you do